the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to Southern California Live, Hour 2 of Southern California Live, right here on KKLA in Los Angeles, KPRZ in San Diego. We're really great to be with you all up and down the state. We're on every day from 3 to 5 right here, so make a note of it and join us every day. You can join our conversation by calling 888-528-2557, 888 Two five five seven. That's the number if you want to join us on the on uh, this program. You can also send me an email at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. All right. So in uh, in California news, something that impacts uh, most of us. Did you know this? Yesterday, this happened yesterday. Uh, millions in California are going to get up to $1,050 in inflation relief. There's been all kinds of conversation about whether or not you're going to get any sort of refund uh, because of gas taxes and the price of gas and things like that. Just in time for the November election, you'll be getting a check from the government, uh, the California government. Uh, governor, California Governor Gavin Newsom announced last night that he had reached an agreement with state legislators on $17 billion inflation relief package. He said the millions of Californians will be receiving $1,050 as part of a new middle-class tax rebate. That's more money in your pocket, the governor said, to help you fill your gas tank and put food on the table. $1,050. That's almost enough to get you to Costco and then buy your food for your 4th of July uh, barbecue. Uh, so that's nice. He's paying for your weekend. Uh, no, I exaggerate a little bit, but uh, not that much when you think about it. Um, so it breaks down this way. According to... Um, Yahoo Finance. Um, Yahoo Finance. Is that who manages your money? Some guy, Yahoo. Um, $75,000. If you make $75,000 a year, or if you file jointly and make $150,000 a year, which is most of you, you would get $350 each. So you yourself get $350. Your spouse gets $350. And for one dependent, if you have any kids or other dependents, another $350, but only one. So up to three $350 payments, that's how it gets up to $1,050. And uh, those with income of $125,000 individually or $250,000 if you file jointly, you're going to get $250 each uh, for a maximum of $750. And if you make more than um, $250,000 or $500,000 filing jointly, you get $200 each plus $200 for one dependent maximum of $600. So between $600 and $1,000, um, that doesn't seem like a big a big thing. If you're making $500,000, do you need the extra $600? I don't know. Call me and let me know. Are you like, maybe you do. I was uh, taking one of those many years ago, one of those financial courses, you know, and they say that seven out of 10 people, regardless of what neighborhood you're in, regardless of what your income is seven out of 10 people are going are living paycheck to paycheck. Because even if you're incredibly wealthy, maybe you have overspent, you've overspent on the house that you bought, or you've overspent on your cars or other things that you've put yourself in debt. It's kind of a, a problem that people have, right? Is that 
you could live if you make a certain amount of money, if you're making half a million dollars a year, um, you can afford the gas and you could just pay off your your house if you want to live you know, more easily in a suburb somewhere. Um, you could do pretty well on that kind of money and have no debt, just be saving money, giving it away, doing all kinds of stuff. But the studies say that many people making a lot of money, they're still paycheck to paycheck. They, they got to make that mortgage on the, the big house somewhere or the summer house or whatever. Um, anyway, everybody's getting money back from the state. Now, I'm not a big fan of deficit spending, as I have mentioned from the federal government, but this is a tax refund. All right. This is basically money that you have already spent that the government is going to give you back. They're not creating money out of nothing, which is what the federal government does when it gives uh, away a bunch of money. And that's what I think contributes greatly to inflation. This is money that because we have a surplus, taxpayers have overspent. And one of the reasons it goes back to everybody, including people who are very wealthy who don't need it, is because you are buying gas. And so it's a tax refund, essentially, even if you've paid a lot of money. There's probably uh, some unfairness legally about the uh, the breakdown of incomes, but uh, I think it's understandable. And I don't think anybody's going to argue about that uh, too seriously. Um, and uh, so the the state budget also, this budget agreement also includes a $47 billion multi-year infrastructure and transportation package. Um, uh, that's good because our infrastructure is falling apart. Um, and uh, it does not include halting the gasoline tax, by the way, though. So it's not a halt on the gas tax. Your gas price isn't going down. You just have to look at this as you're getting some money back from the government on gas taxes you've already paid. And uh, so that's good. I'm I'm okay with that part of it. Um, what do you plan to do with it, your money? The part that bothers me about it and that maybe we should be aware of is when we talk about having a surplus in California, we really don't have a surplus. And the reason we don't is because California has about 1.5 trillion, trillion with a T, um, unfunded liabilities, meaning that eventually we say we have a, a – a budget surplus, but we don't. We have payments coming that we can't afford, okay? And uh, a big part of this has to do with uh, pension liabilities in the state. So a an organization called the American Legislative Exec- Exchange Council, ALEC, um, I guess it's always nice if you have an, an acronym that works. Um, that report says that every state in the union, by the way, has unfunded liabilities. California has $1.5 trillion. So what, what it means you know, I guess to keep it simply, is you might think you're making enough money and you're putting money away in the bank every month or you're, you're traveling or you're doing things, you can give some money away. But if down the road you know that you have a balloon payment on your house because you got one of those loans that keeps the payment cheap for seven years, but then you owe $300,000 you know, on January 1st, 2026, or maybe more likely you have something like that for a business that you own, that type of loan, or there's some kind of debt. Maybe it's student loans. I remember when I graduated school and I kept going back to school, I could keep deferring my loans, but eventually you have to stop going to school. And then eventually they want you to start paying that money back, which is what a a loan is. Not everybody's aware of that, but you do have to pay it back uh, or somebody's going to pay it. If the government ever pays off your loans, you're still going to pay for it through taxes. The government doesn't have any money. It's your tax dollars. Um, Anyway, you have you have expenses coming one day that you're going to have to afford. And if you're doing well financially, if you're being responsible financially, you're considering that. You are putting money aside for that big payment that's coming. Well, the state should be doing that with its surplus uh, for sure. 
Uh, I'm not sure how well we're doing that. And once again, I'm not really against giving money back, particularly in this difficult time where people are really hurting. You know, I think this is really good news for a lot of you out there. I, I like to point out that, and I'm saying this as a Christian, I'm saying this as somebody who needs to be concerned about the poor, is that saying you're concerned about the poor isn't the same as being concerned about the poor. And you can say you're concerned about the poor, so we're going to tax the rich. That's fine. But when you're taxing the poor secretly in some other ways, you're still hurting the poor. So I, I'm bothered by energy taxes because everybody has to pay it. And the poorest of the poor with us have to pay it. So when gas prices go up, and especially when they go up because of taxation, that tax hurts people who are on the lower end of the economic spectrum a lot more than it hurts uh, people who are higher up. Does that make sense? So if the gas tax goes up 31 cents a gallon, that's going to hurt people who don't have the 31 cents a gallon to, to get to work a lot more than the people who just aren't going to go to Starbucks a couple extra times a week because of it. We need to be thinking, I think, in these categories that to there's a whole weird thing that's out there, you know, mostly from people on on the left, but some people on the right about taxing the rich and they should pay their fair share and this and that. That's fine. Tax the rich. But it doesn't solve our deficit problems. It doesn't even come close. There's not enough money there. The reality is, is everybody's going to have to pay taxes. And the reality is, is that most people uh, are not rich. Uh, Most people who are listening to this conversation are on the lower end of what California will be giving out, Uh, meaning that you're going to get $1,050 if you're married and you got one kid um, rather than the $600 you'd get if you were uh, wealthy. Uh, more than $500,000, and it affects you. So I'm I'm glad for this. I hope that it really helps you. Um, And once again, it's not the state printing money. It's the state giving you back money that you spent. But don't be surprised one day when some governor says, hey, we've had these surpluses, and I say some governor because it could be a Republican or or a Democrat governor or an independent governor that maybe we would have one day. One day, you know, the bill is going to come due. One day there will be a bunch of retirements and all those pensions start to flow and people are living longer. That's one of the big problems, right? It used to be that you, you'd retire and you'd get a pension and your company might have a pension and all that, but that's because your company didn't expect you to live very long after you retired. Uh, that's not true today. Today you can retire at uh, 68, 70 years old and still years old and still live uh, a long life and even be busy. I mean, you can retire at 65 and decide to become president when you're uh, 79. That seems to be the way that uh, things are going. I joke about that. My parents are 81 and 82. Should I not have just told everybody you know, how old they are? They're, they're, they're octogenarians. Uh, they just are. And I tease them all the time about, hey, you could be running for president right now. That seems to be the, uh, the age uh, that we're looking at. This is the reason I'm bringing this up not only to give you good news, but I do think we need to look at the world through these lenses and to realize that with the politics of things, and there is politics, it's great politics for Governor Newsom to point out that we have a surplus. It's super good politics. Uh, It's super good optics, right? We've got a surplus. That's great news. And he's going to put that out there, and he should put that out there, you know, politically speaking, and it's an election year. And it's politics that you're not going to get this check uh, for a little while uh, because – He's going to want to make sure that you remember that you got this check when you go to vote. 
That's politics. That's how it works, left and right. That's kind of the timing of things matters a lot, all right, for all of those things. Um, Not saying it's okay. I'm just saying that's the way it is. But part of what I think is important for us, even as believers, is to be able to see the world for how it is, to recognize, okay, surplus, that's great. Tax refund, that's good. It really helps the people who are hurting the most uh, around us, and they are paying money into it. Um, So that's good. But there's a crisis coming eventually when a whole bunch of people start retiring and have government pensions. Uh, and right now we can't pay for that. $1.5 trillion. One of the reasons that I think we're getting further and further into debt is because we don't understand trillion. We don't understand that number. We can kind of understand millions of dollars. You can kind of add that up a little bit, but once people start to, once we get into billions, it's harder to conceive of that. And once we get into trillions, it's just such a big number, we stop thinking about it. We can't. Our brains don't calculate that much. That's why your calculator doesn't have enough digits, you know, uh, unless you got one of those big fancy, you know, scientific ones or use a computer. It matters a lot for us to be aware of what is going on, how things work. And it matters from the standpoint of are we thinking about our society in such a way that as church people, we want to care for people. As church people, we want to be in a place where we recognize what crisis might come and are we ready to help? You can join our conversation, by the way, at 888-528-2557. I'm Scott Furrow. This is Southern California Live. We're here every day from 3 to 5 right here on KKLA 99.5 in Los Angeles, KPRZ in San Diego, 888-528-2557. That is the number. We need to be aware because we have a time in our country, and I think it's highlighted right now, maybe more than ever before with these Supreme Court decisions that are coming down, the abortion one in particular, right? Are we ready to put our money where our mouth is and help families, uh, help mothers who in some parts of the country, maybe even here, I mean, I don't think the laws are going to change here anytime soon, but there might be a sense of hey, you know what, this is not legal like it used to be. The idea that uh, my body, my choice, I think that might be going down that whole philosophy. It goes, it kind of is in trouble because that's being screamed right now related to abortion, but the same people typically were not, you know, were, were not in favor of that idea when it came to vaccinations or other things. There's a hypocrisy that we have in our country and on for, for people who are against abortion, there is something that we're going to have to reconcile and not be hypocritical about, that if we are going to say, hey, uh, abortion should not be allowed for reasons of birth control or convenience, um, then we need to be all about adoption. Then we need to be in our churches focused on what's happening in foster care in California. You know, foster care isn't for everybody, but it is for a lot of us. A lot of us could do it. Adoption isn't for everybody, but even if it's not for you, you can support adoption agencies financially. You can support adoptive families. Hey, a family in your church says, hey, we want to adopt. Well, maybe you help take care of their diaper budget. Maybe when you get your tax refund, what are you going to do with it? Um, Are you going to go buy a TV? Can I just challenge you a little bit? Maybe you should think to yourself, we're going to get this tax refund. It's your money. It's a tax refund. It's good that's coming. Can I challenge you to do something with that? What would you do with $1,000 that would really help people? Got any ideas for that? 
888-528-2557. This is money that you're getting back. It's money you are owed. It's your money. It's not deficit money. You know, I mentioned the the unfunded liabilities. What would you do with $1,000? Is there somebody that you could really help with that? Is there something that you could do and get together with a bunch of people from your church and say, hey, when we get our uh, tax refunds coming up this year that we weren't anticipating, that we didn't budget, is there a, a ministry that we can do for somebody, somebody in our neighborhood? Who's the person in your neighborhood? I don't know if you think about this, but in, in my neighborhood, it's an old neighborhood. You know, the houses are 60 years old. It's a relatively old, California old, kind of. Uh, there's some older neighborhoods, but it's kind of old. You drive down the neighborhood and you go, some of these people have lived here. They were the original owners of the house, which means they're elderly at this point. And their house is a mess. I mean, there's a house two doors down from me that looks to me like it's falling down. The yard's not done. The The house is in, in horrific shape. I don't think it's had any work done, certainly not any time recently, probably not in my lifetime. And, you know, I'll just tell you, I've not knocked on that door and asked what's going on. Can I give you a thought? Maybe maybe you've got some good ideas and you can share them with me. Have you ever gone out with people in your from your church people on your street, and gone door to door, not just to share the gospel with them, but to say, hey, we're from uh, such and such church uh, down the road, and we've noticed that your your yard hasn't been done in, uh, you know, since the Kennedy administration. Can we help you with that? I wouldn't add that Kennedy administration part there. Just say, hey, it seems like you need some help. Is there anything we can help? And don't make it quid pro quo. You know, make it, hey, we're just here to help. What I think is possible and we have done this at our church before with uh we live our church is near a retirement community and we've done this before we've gone door to door and we found out that some people just needed help moving furniture and we said hey is there anything we can help you with at all and sometimes it's like yeah it would be awesome if you'd mow the lawn i was surprised but since i have learned this is a big deal about how many of elderly folks who might be around you who might be right down the street who might be in your neighborhood, how many of them just need help moving something? They got a piece of furniture they need to get out. They got something in the attic they really wish they could get to, but they can't get to it anymore. They're just, it's too dangerous for them to go up there. There is something that's fallen over in the house. And you know what you discover? You discover people are pretty lonely. And, you know, that I think has been the big thing for me. It's like, don't you have kids? Why doesn't, why doesn't your son come over here and mow the lawn? Or if you needed help moving that, how come there's nobody to help you? And sometimes it's a pride issue, and I do have people to help me, but I don't want to ask. But other times it's like, no, I've got no help. When we think of opportunities coming, can we think of this tax refund church as an opportunity? Maybe you need to give it away. Maybe there's a charity you want to support, or maybe there's something you want to do. That's fine. But what if you took a look at the neighborhood your church is in, the neighborhood you live in, are there projects that you could get people together and do and get it done? Maybe there's some painting that needs to be done. Maybe there are walls where there's graffiti or other stuff you need to paint over. Maybe there's just beautification of lawns. You know what happens is you create such goodwill in that neighborhood when you love people this way. And you can invite them to your church. You can say, hey, we're from this church. You can get T-shirts and, you know, but don't make it quid pro quo. You know, the guy who... Uh, who yells at you, who uh, doesn't want to ever go to your church, who doesn't love your Jesus, 
you can say that. Okay, can we still mow your lawn? Do you still need anything? Do that. And the reason it's connected with the money is things cost money. You know, you discover that people have plumbing problems. People have all kinds of problems that they just don't have money for. They don't have time for. They don't know how to fix it. The great thing about the this extra money showing up is that there's an opportunity here for churches and for Christians, people in the community, people in the neighborhood to say, hey, maybe we can make this a little better. Just a thought, just a thought I wanted to put out there and to see if you've got any thoughts about it. You can give me a call and join our conversation. 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557 is the number. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. And uh, there's a lot going on, of course, in our in our world today. And um, right now, if you go to our website, if you go to kkla.com, or if you're in San Diego, go to kprz.com. If you're listening in the L.A. area or surrounding counties, go to kkla.com. There is a movie on there uh, called The Matter of Life, and it's a on-demand movie that you can watch. It unravels the complexities of the abortion issue through science and other things. You know, this is a talking point for a lot of people right now, and... Maybe you haven't given it much thought. Maybe you haven't even wanted to talk about it. You know, studies show nobody wants to talk about this, but it is so real. It is so in our face right now, and we've got to have the discussion. We need to talk about it. This is a tool that's there to help you. So you can go to kkla.com or kprz.com and click on The Matter of Life. You can watch that online. And uh, I think it's a great tool that will really, really help you. There's lots of other tools on there. A great thing about Christian radio is that we get to come together. And uh, there's lots of resources that we have where we can share uh, with each other, get to know each other, connect with other people that way. So go to kkla.com or kprz.com if you're in San Diego. I'm Scott Furrow. This is Southern California Live. We'll be back with more in just a minute. Don't go away. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Scott Furrow with you today. The number is 888-528-2557 with you every day from 3 to 5. Lots going on in the country today. Obviously, lots of abortion conversations and violence at uh, several different protests over the weekend. And uh, I don't know if that's going to continue on, if that's going to be a thing um, or or not, you know, for several weeks or if it's if it will subside, we'll see. But um, as we talked about a lot on Friday, that should just not be, that just can't be our way of dealing with with issues with each other. And uh, interesting reactions from uh, the government. Um, Merrick Garland, who is the chief law enforcement officer of the country, is um, you know speaking out against the decision and this and that. The thing is, is that his job is to enforce it. That's a very interesting uh, place to be. And of course, everybody's got an opinion about it. But at the end of the day, what are we teaching people? And how much of this is going to be leveraged left and right just simply to raise money? I can't even tell you how many fundraising I get. I don't sign up for any political, um, you know, any political campaign email list. But somehow I'm on all of them, left and right. And uh, I have noticed, interestingly enough, that the uh, Republican stuff goes in my Google spam and uh, the Democrat stuff comes right through to my inbox. I think there's, there is something to that, that is, at least in my experience. I know people complain about that. Republicans complain about that. But it is remarkable. I check my spam bucket all the time. Do you check your spam? I do because stuff lands in there that I need. It just drives me crazy. And there might be 50 emails in there and I'll scroll through it and it's almost entirely 
politics, and then there's one thing that I really need that I have no idea. And it's, it's you know, people will say, well, you've got to put that person in your contacts. They are in my contacts. Why does it go in there? Maybe that person is a spammer, like on the side. Maybe their email address is flagged for being spam in general because maybe they're the ones adding me to all the political lists. Anyway, I get them left and right, and everybody's asking for money. I'm wondering what we really want to do, though, moving forward. There's just a lot of questions that have to be answered. The laws are going to be different in each state. Uh, a judge in Louisiana today blocked Louisiana's trigger laws. Many states have trigger laws that uh, go into effect now since the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. The trigger law is a law that was passed that basically has no value until Roe versus Wade is passed. So the law says, hey, uh, we're going to not allow abortions after 15 weeks once, you know, if this decision comes back to the states. And as soon as that happens, bam, there it is. Um, some states, it's really interesting on this. So the Louisiana one's getting blocked by a Louisiana court. It'll probably go to the uh, Supreme Court eventually. I think they will kick it back. They will say, no, nope, this law stands. It's the law. Um, that's what we decided. That's kind of where that's probably going. Uh, but I don't know. It depends on what it says or if there's some reason. You know, there's a there's interesting questions about these laws. One question is, were these laws passed with the actual expectation that they would become laws? Or were they just passed to satisfy, you know, maybe donors on the right or or people's opinions on one side, and therefore nobody really thought they would come into existence, and now they're going to. So were were they really written well as far as laws should be done? Uh, that'll be an, an interesting question. Um, and will they have to redo them? Some states have laws in the book that were restrictive on abortion before 1973's Roe versus Wade, and now a question for those states is, hey, do those laws apply now? Because those laws were were struck down by the Roe decision, but now that, that decision is gone, do the old laws, they're called zombie laws, I guess, they're just still still on the books, they just don't really exist, but now they're resurrected. Um, and now that becomes the law? That's interesting. Every state, I think, is going to have to look at that. Well, you know, everybody's and- got their, their comments about this, but um, Vice President Harris made some comments on it today and they were, you know, supportive of abortion rights as you would, you would suspect. But she said this, that, uh, I just want to talk about this because I'm a father of, of sons and it's, well, here, listen to the quote and then I'll get to it. This is uh, clip number, what is it? Number two. And when we think about it, everyone has something at risk on this. First of all, if you are a parent of sons, do think about what this means for the life of your son. And what that will mean in terms of the choices he will have. All right. So I'm going to think about this for the life of my sons. What I'm, what's driving me crazy about this is there's many, there's many things. And this has been going on, you know, for a while. We have no kind of sexual ethic in our country at all. It's just gone. That's, that's a big part of this, right? Is that not just this issue, but the issue of transgenderism, particularly what's being taught in school, issues of pornography issues, you know, that we're seeing in uh, churches. There's so many things here. What are we teaching our kids in all this? And for her to say, you know, it's affecting your, it takes away the freedoms of your sons. The way I'm hearing that, and not just from her, but I'm hearing this from many people, it's taking away their freedom to right now not be accountable if they get their girlfriend or, you know, pregnant. That, for some reason, 
my boys our rights are being taken away because if they go out and impregnate somebody and didn't mean to, didn't want to have a child, but they do the thing you got to do to have a child, they decide to do that. Uh, now it has taken away their their way out. There has been this movement that I've been hearing from lots of people that said, hey, this is about men too, because imagine the men's careers that would be put on hold if they actually had to be a father and take care of their their uh, children. Imagine how many of us would not be able to pursue our careers as men um, if we had to actually take care of the child that we created with some woman. That drives me crazy. Like, are you serious now? I mean, men, you know, men do get to skate on this issue, right? Isn't it the other way around? Isn't it that men don't bear the burden at all? You know, I think men should bear the burden. My sons, okay, the vice president wants me to think about my sons. All right, my sons, if they get somebody pregnant, they are taking care of that child. They are going to do that. And so are Christy and I. We will be grandparents, and we are going to take care of that girl. And we are going to be a part of this. And my, my boys are not going to run from that. See, what I'm, I'm teaching my boys is don't do that. There is an action. You know, if you don't want to be pregnant, and this is true for everybody, this is what's left off the table here. What's left off the table is, now I'm not talking about rape, I'm not talking about you know, circumstances. There's, you know, there's those issues. Most of the time, what we're talking about here are people who are having sex outside of marriage and pregnancy uh, happens because that happens. And okay, you can use birth control and do all that, but you know what? Sometimes one gets past the goalie. It just does, okay? It's just, that's the way it is. The sexual ethic is, do you do that act? Do you just have the freedom to do all that without consequence? And see, it used to be that you understood the answer to be no, that if you do that, you're risking your future, you're risking your life, you're risking your health, you're risking your mental health, you're risking all of these different things, that there was something taught that said, hey, this is meant for marriage. Yes, there's a spiritual, biblical reason for that, but there's also a building a country and planning a future reason for that, that you should control yourself. And it's hard to control yourself, no doubt about that. But it's, you know, you can put yourself in the position. You know, when I used, my first ministry was I, I, I dealt with young adults, okay, people in their 20s. And there was always this conversation that I would have so often. This is church kids, okay? Church kids going, you know, coming to me upset because they went too far. Sometimes they went all the way. Sometimes they just went too far. Things, you know, happen. And one time I had this conversation that was basically, yeah, me and my girlfriend, uh, we got, we parked under a tree down at the beach and we got in the back seat of the car and, and uh, we got tempted. Well, good. You should have got tempted. You know, if you didn't get tempted, then break up. There's something not right here. You know, that's what did you expect to have happen to you? And in this case, they got a lot more than tempted. Okay. They got that temptation and they went with it and then they felt bad. You know, there seems to be, with a lack of sexual ethic now, there seems to be like, no, you have a right to just do whatever you want to. And what we're going to do is try to eliminate however we can, whatever consequences should be there. But you can't. Even with abortion or other stuff, you don't eliminate the consequences. There are minor ones and there are major ones that you deal with for life, that you will remember for life. So when I think about this with my sons, 
uh, they're going to have a sexual ethic. They are going to know right from wrong. That doesn't mean they're not going to get tempted. That doesn't mean they're not going to uh, struggle in this area. But they're going to know right from wrong. And they are going to know that they will be responsible and that they are not just, if, if they were to get a woman pregnant who's not their wife, um, that they are going to participate in raising that child, that she will not have a crisis pregnancy because the guy's not around. You know, a lot of crisis pregnancies would not be crisis pregnancies if the dad would stay around. That is, you know, regardless of whether abortion is legal or not, that's part of the problem here, is that we have this notion even that our our future, our college education, all as if you can't do that. I mean, how many people listening out there, you ended up getting married or you ended up having a kid before college, during college, and it threw you off. It, did, it took you a direction you didn't plan to go. But 10, 15 years later, most of the time you found out you did okay. Most of the time you found out, you know what? I made this decision, this happened, and uh, I've got a kid now, and it's the greatest blessing in my life. 888-528-2557 is the number if you want to join our conversation, 888-528-2557. So in response to uh, Kamala Harris asking me to think about my sons, uh, my sons are going to be responsible. If they get their girlfriend pregnant one day, which they better not, but if they do, they're going to be dad, and they're going to be a part of raising that child. And my wife and I, as their parent, will help because we're going to be grandparents. And that's what you do. And you love that kid and you love this woman and you make sure she's okay. You make sure that she's taken care of, that she's got health care. And the next step is whenever we as the church see that somebody is going to have to have is pregnant and they need help, we've got to be there. We've got to be there to say, hey, that dad doesn't have sexual ethic. There's a part of us that if you know who that guy is, do you say anything? Hey, dude, you've got responsibility here. Why have we lost that as a culture? But we have. That's a big part that underlying all this and all the issues and all the arguments, all the different things people say. The fact that we do not have a sexual ethic in this country, the fact that we have lost the entire notion that maybe we ought to be responsible for our behavior in the first place uh, is why we have so much division. It's why we have so much difficulty dealing with this. It just bugs me that I'm told, oh, my sons should have the right to a uh, to have their baby uh, aborted so that they can go to college and not have their future disrupted because of a choice that they made. I mean, they're just as responsible in uh, the act. Anyway, I got to take a break. 888-528-2557 is the number. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'll take your calls as soon as I get back. Stay tuned. Don't go away. Welcome back, everybody, to Southern California Live. Scott Furrow, your host, 888-528-2557. If you want to join our conversation, Ted from Los Angeles, welcome to Southern California Live. Uh, how you doing, sir? Ted, City of the Angels. Uh, my, my subject on this is, you know, we kill our unborn and then we adopt abroad. Doesn't that sound fraud? It sounds like it's it's just crazy. So there's many people that are waiting in line for children. 
I had a personal friend who they gave up their first first two children for adoption. They did raise a third. They all joined together late in life. The uh, uh, parents allowed their kids to go see their biological brothers and sisters. It was a storybook ending, and they were drug addicts at the time, but they were able to pull their lives together and raise the last one. Uh, People want kids. People want to raise those kids. Those kids are at the moment of conception. We know a a flash of light goes off. The scientists cannot explain it, but we know what it is. Mm. So there's no mystery in that. I did choose to do that um, when I was a drunk and young, and I carry that burden. Whether it was my child or not, I'll never know unless there was a DNA. But I do carry that. And uh, why would anybody want to go through any of that pain? Let that person go into the world and be adopted and have their chance at life. It's it's the it's the moral thing to do, and that's just my opinion, sir. And thank you for your service. You're an amazing man. Keep doing what you're doing. Ted, thank you very much for calling and for being part of our family here. It sounds like you're doing much better in uh, uh, in your life too, and we're so glad about that. That is, you know, there should never be a time in our life when we can't know the grace of God, when we cannot be uh, a person, even if you have been a part of abortion, either because you're a woman and you got one or you're a man and you were a part of that. And you mentioned, Ted, you were part of uh, uh, using drugs and stuff. And, uh, you know, thank you for, you know, just showing us, too, that you can do better. If you're listening right now, you know, there is always hope in Jesus Christ, always hope. And there is always grace. If you're a person and you're listening to this and you're going, gosh, you know what, I have had abortions and I've been a part of that and how can God ever love me? How can a man ever love me? How can I be a lovable person? How can I carry this along? That's a big part of what grace is. It doesn't excuse the things that we've done, but it pays for them. The guilt that we carry around, the spiritual angst that these things cause us, we give them to Christ. And it doesn't mean that we don't mourn our sin or that we aren't uh, that we don't grieve those things, but we we move on because we have a Savior who died for us, who wants us to take those things and even share our story and encouragement as as Ted just did. With all of these stories going on, this is, you know, such an opportunity for the church to say, okay, for 50 years, so many people in churches have fought to overturn Roe versus Wade. And what has happened is that the decisions about the legalities about abortions have been returned to the states, that the power is actually back to the people. I'm interested to see if if in time as this develops, if people begin to understand that, that the way our country works is that you actually want things to be more local, as local as possible. I mean, obviously, this is a huge deal. And there's another issue, right? There's There's a right to life issue. There is a national issue. That is, does the unborn child have a constitutional right to life? That's another question. The Supremes did not make that decision. Uh, okay, so there is a national question here. But where we're living right now is a place where, hey, you know what? States and localities are going to decide that. And this is our opportunity to be out there to say, hey, you know, if we are opposed to this, then we need to be in favor of abortion, of uh, adoptions. We need to be um, in favor of a sexual ethic that's actually taught, you know, that's actually taught well. 
I think that in our in our churches, you know, we got pretty good at teaching abstinence and purity culture and all of that, but we didn't we didn't get very good at discussing why or even acknowledging that hey, you know, it, even biblically speaking, having desire is normal and right. That God made us to have that desire. He made the activity of uh sex between a man and a woman to be something that is made to create family, to have babies, but also to be pleasurable, to also be something that is a a great part of intimacy in a relationship. But also scripturally to say, you wait, you you develop that relationship in all the other areas first, then you get married, then you have that, and then you have kids. Uh, That's the order that is supposed to be there. Uh, That is a biblical order. It's an order that works that even if you don't believe in the Bible or Christianity, you cannot deny that that works. And, and the weirdest thing that we have done is that we have decided that sexual intimacy is a right. And that's at the core of not having sexual ethic anymore. That this is somehow, it isn't just abortion the right, the right to conceive that child outside of desire for having a child, outside of wedlock, outside of any uh, ability to raise that kid. We've just decided that that's a right and therefore, the consequence of that action um, should be something we can just destroy. That's the, the philosophical problem, is we've taken out responsibility. Inside the church, we need to practice that responsibility, not to practice some bad teachings in the church where we just shame people. And the, you know, There's been some things that aren't good and some practices that are not good. But there is a very healthy approach to these things. And inside the church, we need to do it because it's our testimony. So when people look at the church and they look at what's going on with uh, one of the big denominations right now and they they see all these um, terrible um, sexual evil sins that have been committed by clergy, by people who even work at the church, when we see this going on, of course, we've seen this for a while in the Catholic Church. We've seen it in other religious organizations. All of those things, what happens is that it it discredits the statements that we would have to make otherwise about the right way of, of living life. Marriage needs to be, and sexuality needs to be an a apologetic of the church. By that, I mean it's an argument for our faith. It's to say, hey, this works, that in this fallen world, we cannot guarantee that everybody's life is going to be okay. We cannot guarantee that, hey, everybody's going to have uh, a perfect life or that, that you're not going to suffer tragedy or unforeseen circumstances or sickness and death. That's the result of sin. But for now, in this world, until Jesus comes to make it better, to fix all of those things, for this period of time that we are in, the right way to live, the wise way to live, is the way that's prescribed uh, in the Scriptures. Not the way that's prescribed by some pastor who's not really teaching the Scriptures, okay? I'm, I want to encourage you to read the Bible and what it says. And not just bits and parts here, but what is the ethic all around in the Bible for married couples? There's not too many good married couples in the Bible. Did you know that? Uh, you got Priscilla and Aquila. That's your example. That's your Christian marriage. Follow those two. Those two work together on mission. They're on fire. They do it right. Most, you know, married couples in the Bible, they got a lot of problems. And that's good that that's in the Bible because most of us have problems, right? We can relate. The Bible is not, you know, some book that's just a bunch of stories and the fancy holy other. It's real life. It's gritty. It's it's real. It's violent. It's got tragedy. It's got stupid mistakes that people make. It's real. 
And in the middle of all that realness is a God who understands the realness of your life, the realness of my life, the realness of who we are, what we're going to struggle with, with one big point in it. The point is that we need a Savior, that we're a mess without God and we have no hope without God. My friends, we've got hope with Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life that you can't live, that every culture in the world has got people trying to figure out what to do with their spiritual anxiety, their spiritual guilt, their spiritual angst, and they come up with religions and they come up with philosophies and they come up with all this stuff. The message of our faith that's distinct from all of that is that God came himself to deal with it and said, I know that you can't live the perfect life that you need to live. I'm going to live it for you. And Jesus Christ is going to die for your sins to pay the penalty that you have a sense that you owe. That's your spiritual angst, your spiritual guilt, the spiritual sense that human beings have. Jesus took care of that on the cross. And he rose again, giving you hope that there's everlasting life, that the forgiveness, that the promises of God are true. That unlike every other spiritual leader and philosopher uh, who died, uh, they're all still dead. Jesus is alive. That's good news. That means that you get to be alive forever, that you can have grace and forgiveness. And then the ethics that come along then with Christ, it's going to teach you how to live a better life. And you're, you're not immune from tragedy or sad things. You are a person who is going to have uh, trouble like everybody else. But I'll, find, I'll tell you what, the people who actually try to live by a biblical ethic have a lot less trouble. And whenever tragedy happens, they deal with it a lot better. That's just, that's just true. My friends, get into your Bible. Go to church, be a part of a Christian community, but make sure you're in your Bible and read the hard parts. Read the parts that are frustrating. Take some time to study those things and you will get to know the living God better. All right, we're about out of time for today. And uh, I'm Scott Furrow. This is Southern California Live. We're on every single day from 3 to 5, every single weekday, Monday through Friday, 3 to 5, right here in KKLA 99.5 in Los Angeles and on KPRZ 1210 AM, 106.1 FM in San Diego. And uh, go to kkla.com, check out our website. If you want to get the podcast for this program or any hour of our show, go to kkla.com, look up the program guide, and you'll find it 3 to 5, look at the afternoon. You, you can find the 2 to 6 thing. Click on that. You can find our website there. The podcast is there. Usually it is up uh, right after the show if you want to get any hour of our program, kprz.com if you're in San Diego. All right, tomorrow we will be back once again with our, our program discussing the issues of the day, the things that are going on in the news, the things that we can look at from a biblical perspective to really help you grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ and a disciple maker, maker of Jesus Christ. I'm Scott Furrow. Thank you for listening, and I will be back with you tomorrow. God bless. Have a great evening. Good night. All right, we'll try to do another hour tomorrow if Jared is uh, available. Okay. All right, and then I will see you then on Thursday, maybe in person. Okay, and in person for good after that. All right, we're going to load up that soundboard. Okay, see you.
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.